Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-host Rahul Chani and Leon Everett. I'm Brent Driver. Let's get started. Hi guys, it's almost Christmas, but it's not Christmas, so it isn't, but it almost is. I guess this is um, what we call Advent. Uh, this is episode number 24. How are we doing? Uh, I have both my co-hosts, Ray and Leon, with me again today. Hi guys. Alright, Greg. Good evening. Hey, man. So, what are we reading during almost Christmas, but not Christmas? <laughs> almost christmas but not christmas because i think it's a bit early it's, the limbo it's a bit early to bust out the christmas comics i think because i've been i don't know i I've, I've bought i bought the dc holiday special this week but i'm holding off reading it because I'm, I'm like oh, it's got to be closer to christmas before i start doing things like that you know i don't want to i want to be a little bit christmas but i don't want to be too christmas yeah you don't want to like blow your christmas load too exactly early. yeah I'm, i just need to save it save it a little bit savor it and sort of like gotta edge your christmas <laughs> exactly <laughs> make it last as long as possible exactly plus this is terrible stop ruining christmas oh my god <laughs> it's impossible to feel christmasy when you're still working as well so and i guess that's what being an adult is don't become adults another dead tree in your living room closer to oblivion Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) on to happier things, like uh, the stuff we've been reading in preparation for this week's episode. So we have Batman Annual number two, uh, which is what I'm going to just jump straight in with because I loved this. Um, So this is like the second Batman Annual under the whole DC Rebirth thing. And I really, really liked what they did with the whole Catwoman Batman romance thing in this because um Tom King with his recent Batman comics he's uh, as you will probably know as I've probably talked about previous episodes he has coupled up Batman and Catwoman again and they are engaged Batman proposed to Catwoman Catwoman said yes so they then traipsed out to the desert to tell Talia and also to get back one of Catwoman's friends who Catwoman had taken the hit for and gone to jail previously so that she could own up to her crime and they could get married properly. I think that's something to do with Batman's overbearing justice complex. I don't know. But from there, basically, this is like one of what I would say one of many endings, one of many endpoints that Batman could take, which... I think I think it's a really nice ending. I, I quite like it. It's sad. It's beautiful. And it's a really lovely comic. It's like it like shows the beginnings of uh, Catwoman and Batman like when they first met and like this kind of like rooftop romance ballet in masks that these two te- these two characters do and have done in comics for years. If you've read a Batman comic where Batman and Catwoman cross paths, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um and then you end up with them in later life and they get some bad news and it's how it goes from there basically and uh up to the inevitable death of batman because 
this is what happens to Batman. This is what happens in the end for Batman. Batman stories. Batman dies. Um, and what I really enjoyed about this is it feeds back into one of my favourite Batman comics, which is Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader. I don't know if either of you two have ever read that, have you? I don't think so, no. No, it's one that I've always uh, heard about. It's that one that's... There's ones that are just out there that are part of the canon that uh, you just don't get around to reading, even though you're quite aware of uh, what goes down. Yeah, it's not... I'm not sure if it's part of the... It's it's, it's not really part of the canon. It's like a meta-celebration slash look at Batman uh, that... Yeah, I guess, speaking loosely, I guess more of like canon in terms of oh you should read this batman book yeah then, yeah uh, if you're gonna have several then, uh, batman books on your shelf it is canon. <laughs> yeah if you're gonna have several batman books on your shelf that has to be one of them um but it's um neil neil gaiman basically was tasked with writing the last two issues of the batman comic at the time i think it was the, uh, the detective comics run at the time under the current numbering and it was going to be renumbered and it was going to start again. So he did this whole kind of rebirth thing where this is but one of many endings. And in the end, Batman, you always die, but then you are reborn again. And, you know, it all, the same things always happen. Your parents always die. You always become Batman. You always fight for justice and, and inevitably you always die. It sounds kind of bleak, but it's not. It's It's actually really nice. And I really 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 love this book and it's got like this kind of like um you know like uh those children's books like good night world good night moon good night stars like the good night book if you guys know what what i'm talking about these these like children's books you can get I'm supposed yeah, to, to yeah supposed to help to yeah to supposed to help kids sleep get some say you know saying good night to the world kind of thing it's um it's kind of it, it it's got that kind of framing around it towards the end but the the beginning of the book is more to do with because it's he's kind of in this like near-death experience and what i perceive to be a nexus between the afterlife and his current life or the nexus between the next life and the life he's currently in because he will be reborn and reincarnated each villain has a different story uh, each person attending his funeral because he's watching his own funeral so each person attending his funeral has a different tale for how he died and reading this batman annual off the back of having reread what happened to the cape crusader quite recently um i can actually slot this in in my head which is like a really cool thing for me like i don't obviously you know I, I don't know if it was intended this way, if Tom King intended to write it this way, or if I'm just being a massive nerd. But <laughs> and I'm just making my own head cannon. But I managed to slot this in of one as one of Batman's many endings, and it, it's very poignant. It, it's a very poignant story. It's a very nice story, and I think it fits really well. And because I look at it that way, when I read the ending of the Batman Annual, it doesn't feel so absolute and make me feel so sad as it should. I guess. Hmm. That's- that sounds really good. Yeah. It also sounds really Tom King as well, the way you describe that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, it's, it's really what, what he's doing at the moment across the Batman books that he's writing and with Batman and Catwoman, it's this kind of really like, uh, I guess it's what he does with Mr. Miracle as well. He just injects reality, real life relationships and real kind of, you know, the way people interact 
into the stories. You know, like um, with Mr. Miracle, he's married. And then there's the way he interacts with his wife, Big Barda. Yeah, it all feels like um, very, like, adult. Yeah, and that's what he's done with Catwoman and Batman as well, and I'm really enjoying it. And currently, uh, it, Batman 36, which is out this week, so a week of recording, uh, Wednesday the 6th of December, that hit the stands. Um, you've got Batman and Catwoman meeting Superman and Lois Lane. And there's this like this this really beautiful um, bit before the meeting as they come up to each other and end up meeting in a hallway, and the the their various different ways of getting into that hallway that Superman takes the elevator, Batman's taking the hard way in, you know, um, climbing up an elevator shaft and then pulling the doors open, kind of thing. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> so Batman, <laughs> but um, they um, as they're doing that, they're each talking about each other there's like batman's like you can't be superman's friend because superman's so far above everyone and superman's this huge lofty alien that could crush us all with his pinky kind of thing and whatever that's not his exact words but this is the kind of stuff he's saying whereas superman's like you know batman's batman doesn't want me to be his friend the fact that he didn't tell me he was engaged tells me that i'm not his friend you know and they're both like (laughs) worrying about this stuff and then all of a sudden they meet and they don't say anything to each other and then Lois reaches over and grabs Catwoman's hand and is like, oh, you must be Catwoman, I'm Lois, kind of thing, you know. And issue 37, which I'm looking forward to, is going to be the follow-on from this where they go on, I think, well, it's called Double Date, I think. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. It is. <laughs> Are we talking about Batman or Riverdale right now? It sounds so high school. I know, but it's great. I love it. <laughs> it sounds brilliant. Tom King, yeah. please carry on. No, um... Yeah, it's it's another side to Batman that I'm seeing. It's like a Batman that has learned to play well with others. If that makes sense. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going against the status quo. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, I think you've convinced me to pick this up. Yeah, so pick up the Batman annual and read this kind of sad, tearjerker love story. If, if this was a movie, it would be the kind of thing that you would sit and watch and... You know, like one of the, like a like a tearjerker romance film type thing, mm. but with superheroes, where they Solid. grow old together, and then there's the end, and the end's night. The end's pretty sad, but you know, it it is still happy kind of thing. But yeah, so Batman Annual number two, and everything else that I've just mentioned in trying to articulate my thoughts on Batman Annual number two. <laughs> Can I just ask? Um... It's number two. Where's number one? Was that last year or is that something we've missed from like a couple of months ago? No, number one, Batman annual number one is like another annual that they published. So this is like annuals come out kind of like once a year or sometimes there's like a, they put annually, annually. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's like bi-annually. It's not, I don't know. It's, it depends on, you know, it's the scheduling. Batman annual number one was last year. And I think that was the one that had the award-winning story of the Bat Dog. You know, uh, the okay. one at the Eisners. Oh, really? Yeah, because okay, I, I, I bought that. that book as well, and that heartwarming, beautiful Bat Dog story. Yeah, because it's the whole thing I'll where Batman gets this dog, and he's trying to rehabilitate this dog and train this dog, and in the end he gives up on it because he can't get it to listen to him, but then Alfred carries on in the background training the dog. And by the oh, end, okay. Alfred has managed to train the dog because he doesn't give up on the dog. Because oh, Alfred doesn't give up on people. 
<laughs> How many pages is this annual? This the number two annual. Um, like it's not it's not regular floppy size. No, right? it's it's like a like an extra, extra bit bigger. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll keep an eye out for it. I'll, I'll pick it yeah, up. It's it's nice nice book. Nice nice book. Um, so I'll move on to my next one, which is Ghostbusters Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, which has now concluded. It's like all five issues done. And this I have been gushing over for similar reasons, because it's characters that I adore and have adored since the dawn of my time on this earth. So that's the Ghostbusters and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, it's been a great story. It's It's real fun. And... Although it's all, you know, interdimensional peril and they're going up against um, an amalgam of their foes. So the Ghostbusters have the Collectors, which are interdimensional beings that take you to another dimension and hold you there for the price of uh, uh, somebody else's whim for the price of part of their soul kind of thing. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are up against a foe that they killed in a previous book called Darius Dunn who has found a way to summon the collectors from the afterlife and send them after the turtles in the real in, in you know in life life i guess <laughs> um this story is it works on two levels like i said cuz it works on the interdimensional fun the, the the action the bombasticness of it all Turtles and Ghostbusters coming together, two great franchises brought into one with some with a really great team behind it. You've got great writers, uh, Eric Burnham and Tom Waltz, um, a whole cavalcade of artists, Tag Galusha, Dan Schooning, Mark Torres, Charles Paul Wilson III, Luis Antonio Delgado. Just, yeah. It is like... Because every... I think when I mentioned and talked about this before, every time they zip to another dimension within the book, it's a different art style. So they've got a different artist doing the next two pages every time you flip the pages and it just keeps it, it's just nice and fresh and it's cool to look at and it really gives you a sense that they are in a different place in time and space, you know? Um, The really cool thing about the way this story works is the way that they've used it in the evolution of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as characters. So, it's in the name, right? These guys are teenagers. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, they, as they're travelling with their designated partners from the Ghostbusters, they've been matched up personality-wise, I guess, in most cases. So, Donnie is with Egon. And because both of them have died before, they're talking about their experiences with death. And Donnie's like, well, you know, when I died, I was my, you know, consciousness was stored inside a robot. And it was kind of weird seeing myself recuperating in a hospital bed through the eyes of one of my creations kind of thing. And Egon talking very little about his experience with death, but he seems to be annoyed that he came back via mystical means rather than technological means and he's jealous of donatello having been inside a robot (laughs) um but it's the way that they kind of like work through these issues that they have and and as as the the, the, as a unit as the teenage mutant ninja turtles because that you know they're angsty they're teenagers and the way they work through these issues with their ghostbusters mentors as such because winston zedmore and leonardo are very much the same because they're the good soldier you know 
the the kind of like the the strategist of the team um and the way those two talk to each other and the way Winston kind of is mentoring Leonardo in being a leader and in bit well in being a um in, in how to how to you know how to strategize and things like that and and you know how those two work together and then how Peter Venkman is helping Michelangelo figure out who he wants to be and and how he's going to move forward through life and it, it, there's this really touching moment at the end where because Peter Venkman has a psychology degree and he sees how Michelangelo manages to diffuse a situation by using words instead of violence it gives him a book about psychology and he's like you know what you'd be well suited to this why don't you think about getting a psychology degree um and you've got Ray Stans and um he's been because Ray, Ray Stans is like this is like the mismatch that works but doesn't work kind of thing because you've got Ray Stans who's like the happy-go-lucky heart of the team and then you've got Raphael who is Mr. Angry and those two get matched together and it's kind of like Ray attempting to help R- Raphael come to terms with his anger in in places so it works on that level that the Ghostbusters are mentoring the t- the turtles into be into becoming more well-rounded individuals, and I quite like that. I really enjoyed that side of the story. So, yeah, I, I think this is it makes a great book. It's really fun, and there's obviously other layers to it and things like that, which I'm probably going to go back through and reread the whole lot, start to finish, because I really enjoyed this. Definitely one to pick up. Moving on from there is one that we've both read, isn't it, Leon? Yes, I'm still an issue behind, but I'm on my way catching up. Oh, I've been I've been screaming at you to catch up on this because this is something yeah. that I've wanted to talk <laughs> about because there's some so it's just super cool moments in uh, issue two, and uh, of course we're talking about Batman White Knight, which is um, Sean Murphy's baby. He's the writer and the artist uh, with. Um, assistance from Matt Hollingsworth and Todd Klein um and I guess at the moment I'm loving the evolution of this story and how it's all slowly coming together and how the pieces of the jigsaw are fitting in so whereas we believe the Joker is cured and is now attempting to help Gotham and bring Gotham back to its feet and is painting Batman as a demon and a villain um you find out that maybe he's not as squeaky clean as you think he is at the end of issue one. And we're starting, it's starting to creep in now that maybe he's got this huge master plan. And although he's not the Joker anymore and he's not dealing in chaos, what he is doing, it's almost like he's setting Batman up for a fall deliberately, deliberately trying to make Batman um look to set yeah, him as the bad guy to set him up as the bad guy yeah deliberately trying to make him look reckless deliberately putting him in these situations where he he has to cause damage to the city and things like that and it, it's all being exposed that the, the the rich people of Gotham have a batman relief fund and everything to sort of like kind of like to do like an insurance scam type thing you know like disaster relief but it's actually just batman because you don't get hurricanes in Gotham <laughs> um so yeah where are you with this leon what do you reckon 
Yeah, um, it, it's it's a it's interesting. It's very uh, uh, like it continues down the road of being quite a, an interesting and fascinating take on like the Joker and the Batman, and in in some ways, in like how how that dynamic would play out in the real world in some ways, just with the reactions of Gotham, because a lot of the time. Gotham is this. Uh, it's it, it's the city. It, it's just this machine that spawns um, people who need help and bad guys. But a lot of the time, you don't really like for all this, for all these adventures and scenarios where Batman puts himself on the line to save the city. A lot of the time, you don't really get a feeling for how the city feels. It just seems like, are oh, they grateful that there's someone there to help? try and clean up the dirty corrupt town but this is a very interesting take on it showing the sort of the human cost and the the will of the people in a way it reminds me in some ways of the dark knight rises the nolan film that capped out the dark knight trilogy yes where that was uh, bane empowering the masses the 99 percent yes. which is referenced in this book to um, overthrow the the rich people, uh, basically to eat the rich and take over and, and chase them out, and it feels along those lines. The... Um, and it, it, it does some, it, it, like it, it, it successfully and in some ways that I'm unsure about maybe unsuccessfully um, paints a mirror between things going on uh, in like in the real world. And like how those reactions would be in this uh, Gotham, where it's like it's like somebody's just dropped like a, a woke take. Uh, the Joker that bit, you know, or Jack Napier dropped a woke take in his uh, big um, prison uh, hearing, um, and he, suddenly he's he's uh, cleared everyone's eyes, and they're like, yeah, maybe the Joker, maybe the maybe Batman is is to blame. Maybe uh, Gotham PD uh, are helping uh, keep the, the the rich, the the uh, the one percent, the gatekeepers as they call them, uh, on top, and, and that's causing like a massive backlash in the city, which works towards the Jack's uh, like ultimate goals, which seems to be like it feels real that he's cured of being the Joker, but it's it's a case of that now it's like full revenge. Um, and like uh, by any means necessary, yeah. Uh, uh, sort of p- point p- uh, place the target on on the city, and, and uh, well, on the the uh, the city is in the government of the city, the police, and all the corrupt people, and ultimately Batman. Um, and yeah, the way they like paint him being the Joker is like a sickness, like this this blur that he, he was addicted to um it's like it just reminds me a lot of when people talk about uh, after they've been to rehab after uh, after a drug addiction and how some of the memories from before are just hazy and some some feel real some some don't they feel like a, a waking dream and uh even like looking at pictures or stuff in the past back then they just don't remember if that happened or not or when that happened and they do touch on that um quite quite a bit here like i mean to go back to a point i was saying before where i think it works successfully because 
in ways it is quite uh i don't know if true or realistic but it just feel like a natural reaction you'd have if uh someone charismatic uh did hold the mirror up uh and it's 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 nice to see um a more gray take on on batman uh instead of it being quite black and white like good versus bad yeah. and like the cost and you even have that in this issue where it feels like uh, Bruce uh, wasn't hasn't been aware of the butterfly effect that uh, that he's had on the on on the town and how like weird sort of like gentrification and um, like devaluing of property mm. by him stopping bad guys has affected people negative negatively. Well, because he's always focused on the grander macro. Uh, big bads and like for the greater good, but he, he's forgotten like, or or just overlooked that uh, a lot of the uh, the the people who can't defend themselves, the little guy, the uh, the marginalized people, are, um, are getting screwed um, because rich people can't do rich people stuff, <laughs> and uh, it, it it is interesting for um, to have that realization. It kind of reminds me um, to go back to a Nolan film, uh, Batman Begins, where at the end. Um, uh, Gordon is giving uh, Batman this this great speech, which I like at the end of the movie, and he's talking about uh, escalation, and it's like um, uh, we start wearing uh, bulletproof vests, uh, we start wearing Kevlar, they start using armor-piercing bullets, etc. So, if if there's if a guy starts using theatricality and dressing up, other people are going to do it, and that's when they tease the uh, the Joker card mm. at the end, yeah. and it's great because during that whole bit. Batman had this, Batman's like, huh? Like, he hadn't even considered that because his thing is, oh, he wants to be a symbol that people can look up to and to, to strike fear into the hearts of um, criminals. But he didn't even think about uh, collateral damage and what uh, him, uh, not taking the nuclear option, but, but him fighting fire with fire, he didn't really think about what the consequences of that would be. And it, it's nice to sort of see that in the pages here. But, like, bits where that don't seem as successful it's like so like it it has like a homage to uh the jonathan backman photo of uh aisha evans from baton rouge one of the protests um that followed the um some um death the police brutality i think that was uh philandro castile um and the uh black lives um matter protests and like he has the picture which is uh, the striking one of like the cops running up to uh, Aisha and she's wearing like a dress and she's like unflinching and it's become like a classic photo now but he has that in there and it, it almost feels too on the nose because what happens with that is then it it has an un, a possible uncomfortable side effect if if the people in the city who are rebelling and protesting are correct. Um, well, more so that it sort of pairs their struggle with, and the real life struggle. And it sort of hand in hand puts it with the Joker's thing, which is seemingly a plot to get revenge while, while using, um, using basically the outrage of the city to facilitate his revenge. So it almost 
creates an uncomfortable thing of like, well, if these uh, these people who are also like angry, like rightly angry at the one percent, uh, are they being like uh, tricked? Um, is it like is it like that um, that conservative commentator who appears in the news? And it's just like, are they just butthurt or like snowflake triggered uh, special snowflakes like uh, SJWs? Like it, it, it's, I, th- I think it's a, it can be if it doesn't like uh, like stick the landing, it, it could it could be a backfire. Yeah. But I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt for now because I'm, obviously I'm only two issues in. And yeah. I think there's a lot of interesting commentary in i this. see i see where you're coming from that it could completely take some very real life struggles and like trivialize them yeah sort of. yeah N- not just trivialize them as well but to align them with an obvious villain or a you know mm. maybe even um take a a, a view of things that or or, or or cause people to take a view of things that aren't that that isn't yeah, yeah so like it it could lead to bad readings of real life situations exactly that's what i was trying to get at yeah yeah but um i i quite i quite like what it's doing so far and i do like this whole sort of class war thing that the joker has because he he has turned it into a class war hasn't he yeah and it's um I don't know. I the way Batman's written in this, it's almost like you find yourself kind of rooting for Jack Napier slightly, <laughs> which you shouldn't. It, but you should. But then you shouldn't. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I think it, it's it's complicating it in an interesting way, yeah. and I'm I'm hopeful that it will continue to complicate it because yeah. even if the Joker does have some evil scheme and he does 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 bad things. A lot of the points that he, he hit on are legit, yeah. and uh, I get like a lot of these things require like discussion and nuance. So it's like um, just because he stands for something but is also bad, it doesn't necessarily mean that the thing that he's standing for is is corrupt. Yeah, which is like that whole sort of uh, straw man argument you can have with a lot of it's things. Like he's, but yeah, um, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I think that, um, there's a lot of scope and it, is it it's eight issues is it is it two of eight i think or well, i'm up to two of eight yeah i think i think uh, there are eight in total i think yeah so it feels like there's a nice contained story here which is um uh which i'm always down for yeah no 100 percent um i um yeah i was i think you've just hit on everything that i was going to say really about this the way that it's uh it, it it's it feels like i mean he's still he's doing he's tr- it, what he's doing on the surface appears right but he's still malevolent and he's he's hijacking a legitimate cause and using it to his own ends which i think is probably one of the most twisted things he's done yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what that's what's sick that. yeah <laughs> that's it it's like we were only getting the joker like half ability yeah now now we've got the joker on <laughs> volume 11 or whatever and yeah yeah no i i'm enjoying this and i'm gonna follow it to the end and see where it takes me because i I do i do like to see fresh takes on 
Bat- Batman characters and yeah, you, know, you all know I love Batman. Uh, so on to the last thing, which is on my list, which uh, Ray was nice enough to buy a massive stash of Riverdale comics for me last week when they were on <laughs> Humble Bundle. So I, I, I'm eternally grateful to him for that because I was I was talking about this bundle on Twitter like, oh my god, it's such a great bundle and. I'm not going to lie, at the moment, um, I, I'm, I'm not exactly flush with cash, it's Christmas, I'm buying presents for people, and I was like, look, you know, I, I was saying to people on Twitter, look, you know, buy it, I haven't got the disposable for this, but you you need to buy this bundle, because it is a stash of amazing comics, and it's um, it's all Archie comics, it's all Riverdale stuff, uh, it's like the current Archie comics, some of the uh, cool classic Archie comics, and uh, some of the Riverdale tie-in stuff is in there as well, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that... yeah, and this is one of those bundles that I saw the email for a while ago, and then completely forgot to buy it. And you reminded me of it. Um, and I have to admit, I think I told you this, but I was very drunk at my work Christmas party when you sent that tweet. So I was I was flush with alcohol, and I was just happy to happy to give my first Christmas gift. So you're welcome. Yeah, Rahul put on his red hat, his white beard, <laughs> got out his debit card, <laughs> and uh, laid down some Queen's faces so that I could have this epic bundle of comics, which I'm very thankful for. So I started reading it. And what better place to start than my favourite character from the Riverdale TV series, Jughead. So I started with Jughead Volume 1. Um, and it's like... It, it is, it's a fun book. You know, it's mild peril at best kind of thing. It's, it's what Archie comics, I guess, are known for high school um high school drama slash sensationalism kind of thing but this this is more um if you enjoy if you watch riverdale this is this is like on a goofier level so where riverdale is quite dark in places and has these you know like real kind of like um yes it's teen issues and everything else and it's you know it's it's teen drama on the surface but Riverdale also has this really dark undercurrent the TV series I'm talking about now and it also has these uh, real um, like uh, the issues that they bring to light within the book within the TV series sorry are quite real and quite um, more threatening than what I'm reading here in this this uh, Jughead comic but the what Jughead is it, it the way Jughead deals deals with this it's like fun it's bouncy it's it's supposed to be just you know it's it's, it's like a comedy it's, it's a comedy book it's meant to it's meant to make you laugh um and what we have here is a that we 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 start the book with Jughead sitting in his living room having pulled an all-nighter to play a new video game uh, and the first two pages is him stationary in his chair with different bubbles of speech coming from the TV. Uh, and then slowly the sun rises in the background as you go from panel to panel. It's like going from night to day and he's not moving a muscle. Occasionally he's got a bit of pizza in his mouth or something and it's just like going around. And then Archie knocks at his door and Archie's like, OK, it's time for school. <laughs> so off to school they go. And when they get to school... um, Betty is doing a protest in the schoolyard and Jughead basically tells her that what she's doing is pointless but in like a, a more sarky kind of sharper kind of funny way than I could 
right now on this microphone <laughs> without reading the comic word for word. Um, and then they go into school um, and they sit down in class and uh, they've got a new principal. The school's been taken over. It's a new regime. And it comes to lunchtime. You know, Jughead's ignoring this and you know he doesn't care. Ignoring it until it affects him, basically, because it comes to lunchtime and all of a sudden they've changed the menu and there's no lasagna anymore. There's just this like weird gruel stuff. And he's not going to have any of that. No. This is a man. This is a boy that likes to eat. Uh, and they messed with his food and that was it. That that was where he snapped. <laughs> and this is where he started to uh, starts to decide that he needs to sort of stand up for stand up for, for what he what he likes because it's now something that's finally affecting him. So he kind of goes out and starts protesting, trying to protest. Um, and he's, you know, like um, you've got this regime that's being enforced. And where I am at the moment in this volume, because I've not finished it, but where I am at the moment, he has been successfully breaking the rules and playing the game, but doing it his way. So he's playing the game, but not playing the game. He's breaking the rules without breaking the rules. So there's a moment where he has to do an obstacle course uh, in a PE lesson. And he has to finish it in a certain time or he'll get detention. And if he finishes it quicker than a certain time, he gets um, he, he gets let off from the next three gym classes or something. So he's rigged the course. He's put a skateboard in a part of it and he's put like plastic on the floor so that he can skid across it and things like that to get to the end like really quick. Um, and there's another great bit that I read where he hijacks Betty's protest and uses it to get real food back in the cafeteria instead of gruel because he goes to a cooking class, learns how to make hamburgers and then sells hamburgers and says that all the proceeds from what he's selling goes to Betty's protest, which is actually not because he's trying to help Betty, but because he's found a loophole in the rules that means kids can sell their own food in the cafeteria if it's for a protest or for like a good cause or for a charity. And the, the this uh, this all sounds a lot more like the old like Jughead with his head in the clouds from the old comics that I remember reading when I was yeah. like back in the early nineties. Yeah. Um, when as much as I love like Cole Sprouse's Jughead from the Riverdale TV show, this this is the thing I remember. Yeah, this is this is Jughead with his head in the clouds because there's these really cool daydream sequences that he has as well, where he falls asleep in detention, and then there's one where he uh, he passes out because of the shock of not not being able to have real food in the cafeteria <laughs> and it's yeah it's just jughead with his head in the clouds as you say and it's great it's great fun i'm loving it does he at least have a burger oh yeah like like back in the good old days yeah he has a whole dream about a special burger that has an uh, infinite burgers inside it <laughs> good i'm reading this first cool. <laughs> you're not supposed to read it first i think you're supposed to read archie before you read this but Oh, okay. Yeah, but it, it works anyway, because obviously I've not read any of it. This is like, this is the first thing I've picked from the menu, but I think I've probably gone for the main course and skipped the starter, I don't know. But anyway, it's it's really good regardless, and I think you can read them independently of each other. I don't think you really need to read each one in sequence or anything. But yeah, no, it's, it's a great book. I love it. It's also, just to point out again, that it's a really cool bundle. 
Um, and the charity that it's going to this time is the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. So, you know, if you want to support support the rights of comic book creators, then this is a good one to go for. Indeedy. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is I've I've not read an awful lot of Archie before now, so this is like kind of you know more about this than me, Ray. Actually, this is one of those times where because you 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 read this when you were a kid. Uh, and you've read Archie comics before. This is me not knowing that much about Archie, and this is like Riverdale, and now and then the horror comics, and then now this. This is me getting into it, kind of thing. So, I mean, from what I can tell of the bundle, I think in the the later packs for this bundle, there's um, the best of Archie comics, mm. and this style is what I remember. And I used to pick up the. This is from when I uh, used to visit India when I was a kid, and the hotel near the hotel that I stayed at, which was a much nicer hotel, as in the one we stayed at was crappier than the hotel which had the shop that sold the Archie comics. And I used to buy literally stacks of these pocket, like you could fit them in your back pocket. Um, and I, because they were from India, I could never quite tell if they were firsthand or secondhand from like a whole decade before. So they were either from the 80s or the 90s. I can't, I genuinely don't know. Um, but this is the kind of thing I recognize. And I've always been curious about this new, like modern shiny style, especially because the Archie comic is um, done, uh, the art's done by Fiona Staples, who I adore, yeah. who, you know, who does the saga artwork. Um, and yeah, it's a good excuse to get into these. I, I have no idea what to expect from this new run, but it's it sounds great. You know, you know your classic, you know the classic Archie though. So you know the classic characters. So you're... Well, I, I honestly can't remember it very well, so I'm going to yeah. have to flick through these Best of Archie comics and see if they have, if, if that's what I remember. I think yeah. that'll be my next stop as well. I think I'm going to read them concurrently, kind of build mm. my knowledge that way. But yeah, no. I've got my eyes on finishing uh, that Betty and Veronica run. Yeah. yeah I mean, it there, all yeah. looks cool. Right? New comic book day, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I grab, yeah. grab that bundle because it's too good to pass up. It's such a good bundle, isn't it? <laughs> So yeah, there we go, humble. We've uh, done some shilling for you. Uh, <laughs> so um, I guess that's me done. That's my list up, over and done with. So um, you guys want to play rock paper scissors? For who next? I I, I pick I pick all first. of them. So I win. Yeah, <laughs> it was fine. Whatever. I was going to give it to you. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mister Rock. I got you with my paper. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'll start with. Black Bolt uh, 1, which um, I think the first issue came out in July or so, but it's part of a newer run um, written by uh, Saladin Ahmed, uh, art done by Christian Ward, and the lettering done by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, and what it feels like is an uh, interesting new take on the Inhumans. And it, it's it's funny because in, in in some ways it does uh, give me give me uh, shades of uh, the Mister Miracle, the uh, Tom King run, but um, but 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 not but in a very different way. Um, like before going into this, I've never really been too familiar with the Inhumans. I've always just known them as being like the proto New Gods, like. For a long time, they always felt like uh, Marvel's answer uh, to the new gods until I realized that Kirby created them before he left Marvel mm. um, for DC. But like, it, it seems very similar in terms of 
like a royal family of like super powered people who are not quite human who different characters end up on earth for whatever reason but um it was weird because i remember this i remember inhumans being the final film on the slate like post phase three mcu and this was like a 20 maybe late 2019 pushed into 2020 film and that this uh, and there uh, 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 was such a vocal uh groundswell of people like yeah yeah in humans in humans in humans so i was like why why are people so hyped hyped for in, in humans like, i've just never delved into this stuff as much um but yeah like it seems like marvel did them super dirty like super like that show which is part of the ABC um, Marvel shows, not the Netflix or Hulu Marvel shows, but the ABC ones, which I was never a fan of um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Or, uh, I heard um, Car- uh, Carter was good, but Agent Carter was good. But yeah, the ABC stuff just doesn't doesn't look good. And this look, looked absolutely terrible, like the worst type of cable sci-fi. Uh, I mean, on... Rotten uh, Tomatoes, it has 10% and 23 Metacritic score. Like, people went in, savaged it, uh, and and rightly so, based on that trailer. I've never watched <laughs> yeah, it. didn't we see that trailer? <laughs> oh, sorry, Karen. Didn't that trailer come ahead of uh, a film that we watched? And we were just like, what the hell is this? Like, it genuinely looks made for TV, and it was on this massive screen in front of us. It looked terrible. Oh, yeah, because it was coming out in the first two episodes, they put in IMAX for some reason. <sighs> oh, right. Okay. Dear Lord. No, I... <laughs> but yes, sorry. I was going to say, I, I, I haven't watched an episode of it. Um, I keep seeing it advertised in comics that I buy. My experience of the Inhumans is via the Fantastic Four because they pop mm. up a lot in Fantastic Four books and I'm always wondering how are Marvel going to make this work when they're so hell-bent on not having the Fantastic Four? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see how they could have uh, worked um, in... in uh, in the current MCU stuff, um, it seemed like a lot of people kept saying that uh, they're like teasing Inhuman stuff in the the Agents of Shield show. So I assume there was a plan, and then it became a TV show, which looks bad. So that that's a shame. But like, yeah, like I've never really been too familiar with all of this. But um, I'd heard good things. Uh, I can't even remember who, but one of the comic artists that I follow retweeted some some praise for this book. So I thought, oh, cool. Let me give it a go. I think I even followed the writer on Twitter or at least seen a lot of retweets from them. So I didn't know that they wrote comics. So I thought, yeah, screw it. Let me uh, let me dive in. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very promising. Like, it gives the first page has like a like an info dump about like previously on uh previously on inhumans and it shows what the the state of things are and it reminded me a lot of how tanahasi coates handled his beginning of uh the black panther uh run that he did with still freeze uh last year that's still ongoing um but with there they they use a lot of like montage um in this like there's a quick uh, sort of preamble in terms of what happened and it briefly explains like the power and the fact that black uh, he's like a 
the king of the Inhumans and his brother's evil, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then like, a great tragedy happened and then, boom, it starts. And it, it starts in such a... I don't even know if off-kilter is way. And it's such, it's such a, like, a claustrophobic way where with this character who doesn't know where they are or what they did or what's going on. And there's um, a voiceover on there that... Like a, well, a voiceover. There's, like, a narration um, in third person. And oftentimes I can find, like, a heavy reliance on that to feel like, like a crutch or, like, lazy. But, um, like, it's used so effectively here and it starts to, like, repeat and you, it really gives like this horrible feeling of like limbo and just being stuck doing the same thing again and again and not being able to tell the days apart um, and feel like um, that you're being played with and toyed with. It's this horrible like hellscape devoid of all hope. Uh, and they really nail the uh, the feeling of like powerlessness and uh, just claustroph- claustrophobia, but also like um, paranoia. And it's so interesting. Like I use interesting a lot because yeah, I feel like even with superhero comics, people are starting to do well, starting, but people are very much recently doing a lot of interesting things with them and recontextualizing them and, and bringing in sort of modern context and, and modern like hopes and fears. So it's it's very. Um, I know it's it's very uh, struggling for word. It's it's very um, like it feels very now. Uh, this is super like dark streak uh, rolling through. And in this first issue, you're following Black Bolt uh, imprisoned, and you don't know what's real and what's not. Um, but it, it it has some real really uh, good hooks in there. That um, are definitely going to have me like reading, trying to catch up on the run and seeing what 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 else is in store. Um, the panel composition uh, and the like, the the color palette uses that like blue fuchsia that I really love and reminds me a lot of a, an image book. And for me, that's always a compliment. Um, and that's that's that, that's the striking thing. Actually, it didn't feel like I was reading a Marvel book, and that's not a, a slam on Marvel. This is uh, more of a slam on my uh, my experience with uh, Marvel books in recent years, but it actually feels like I'm reading an image book. Um, and it uh, with the Inhumans, they feel so I know almost divorced from other current Marvel stuff at the moment. It, it could be this independent comic. Um, so yeah, it's that's a definite recommendation for me. I would. Um, get stuck in um, and join me on this adventure. I mean, at the moment, I think there's about seven issues, maybe more. Um, so uh, people will be ahead of me, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes. And it's so annoying. Like I started, started this, this podcast uh, wanting to focus on, non-superhero indie comics uh, and I've uh, challenged my own prejudices and 
found a lot we've come across or been recommended a lot of interesting uh superhero stuff so i mean it just shows you man don't don't close any doors keep keep your doors open and uh there's a lot of uh, a lot of goodness out there i mean but, um yeah i'd recommend it to you guys at least read the the first issue and see what mm-hmm. you think it's um it's doing some interesting stuff yeah i i i intend to give this a look what i what i have seen in like recent times in comic shops there's this whole because i've not really been following some of the bigger marvel stuff and whatever i've been dipping in and out and i think the only things i'm follow i have followed were silver surfer thanos and i was i'm reading uh peter parker um peter parker spectacular spider-man um but what it, it where does this fit with the whole Inhumans versus X Men thing that happened? Because that happened. No, I don't know. That, that, that's a Greg question. <laughs> <And> <laughs> question. This is Greg asking a Greg question because this is this is this is how out of it I am with this stuff sometimes. But yeah, there's this whole Inhumans versus X Men thing that happened, and I don't know where this fits with that. And there's currently, is there a, currently an Inhumans comic as well, or is there just the Black Bolt? Uh, I'm unsure. I'm, I'm not even sure how much connected this is, um, because the events seem to be mm. quite uh, end of the worldish. No, well, not really end of the worldish, but yeah. quite uh, devastating. So I'm not sure where it falls in the run, or if it's even part like, of anything to do with anything else. Yeah, part of a, part of a current canon mm. or lead up to an event or anything. It feels very much its own little thing in, in the same way that. Uh, Mr. Miracle yeah, does. Virgin Waters for me, this will be if I start reading it. I mean, the, my experience for the Inhumans and for Black Bolt is via um, Fantastic Four comics that I've read when they turn up in Fantastic Four stories um, from way, way back. So it's like old Fantastic Four. I've got, I've got, I've got this like Fantastic Four um, collected edition thing that's got like some fantastic four stories in it and it's got like some crossover with the humans um mm. and like my fate one of my favorite black bolt moments is when he turns up in uh old man logan in the uh what the original the, the newer one no the, the original one that we reviewed <laughs> oh yeah of course yeah. yes yeah see i uh, i do remember yeah yeah <laughs> the whole shh thing yeah, this is not. This is a very different uh, black bolt yeah. here. Uh, that's the thing I forgot to mention. Some of the basics, like his, his he kind of he's like kind of like banshee, isn't he? He's got really like quasi supersonic uh, vocal cords or something. So like he's very destructive. So he has to be like super, super, super disciplined not to uh, destroy people just by like uh, whispering a bit too loudly. Yeah, and I think that they start this off, and he's got like main like mask on. Um, and he doesn't know how the mask got on him. He doesn't know how to remove it. And it's it, 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 it's really cool because it sort of limits how much you can see of his face. So the only, and and the dialogue is he doesn't speak um, for a lot of it, and um, all the dialogue is third person. So you, you, it's kind of like distancing, but not because you still sort of feel like you feel like in his shoes in a way, but you you're projecting a lot of how you'd feel on it because you can't work you can't see his emotions in his face or he or like in his voice and what he says yeah so it's, it's really really uh cool sort of um idea to do but also makes him look like extra badass mm. 
No, I really, I, I like the idea of Black Bolt and, and what you're saying about them being, um, the new gods, but not the new gods, like the Marvel version. Mm. And everything. It, it's it, it's true. It all came from Jack Kirby, so I'm not surprised that there's some similarities and some uh, parallels that can be drawn there. But yeah, no, I'll have to. A lot of uh, sorry, I was going to say. It seems like there's a lot of a uh, lot of Kirby love this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, this is was his 100th birthday, wasn't it? So, or he would have been 100 this year had he been still alive. Uh, so this is this is where all the. Uh, the Jack Kirby stuff's coming back and people are starting to celebrate him and the way that he put down the groundwork and the way that he kind of like uh, dictated the landscape of comics for all those years to come and for all the years to come still because that's what that man did effectively. He took the sandbox and he terraformed it to a degree. <laughs> We're going to say tipped it over. No, but no. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he took that sandbox and he terraformed it. And he created this whole ecosystem kind of thing that people now are, are playing around in and continuing to, continue to, continuing to evolve with their own ideas, I think is the best way that I can put it. Um, yeah, it feels like he's just created... Um, obviously, his actual his books themselves are just like great and genius and yeah. so ahead of their time but it feels like also he's been so inspirational and his ideas are so uh, intricate and multifaceted that they've just provided a mm. really good jumping off ground for a lot of uh, like uh, current uh, creators now yes yes indeed um, so you have anything else on your list I do. I have the second issue of a comic book that we uh, brought up on here before. The image is a number one with a bullet, uh, written by Jacob Saman, um, the art done by Jorge Corona, colours by Jen Hickman, and lettering by uh, lettering and design by Steve Wands. Um, so if listeners remember the episode where we brought this up, it... Um, it was very much a sort of technocolor uh, exploration of uh, how intangible privacy is becoming in a modern era and how the social media is quite uh, isolating um, at the same time and all the dangers of the sort of faux connections that, that we're having. And I think the second issue continues that theme and, and runs of it and takes it to some uh, really interesting places. Um, I mean, starting off with the cover, which I really like, the um, it's uh, the, the familiar appearance that everybody's seen of dropped, broken iPhone. And it's got a image of uh, uh, Nash on there, the uh, our protagonist. Um, and it's... Uh, it's a still from a video that was uh, referred to in the climax of the uh, the previous issue. So, oh yeah, and it has an awesome like orange to purpley plum gradient going across, which uh, oh, so image, so beautiful. But um, yeah, this issue deals with the aftermath of those events, and it uh, delves deep into like the 
various ways uh, violations of uh, privacy can happen and the circus of mass social media and how that can be used to like terrorize people um, and it delves into the uh, harsh and ugly realities of uh, victim blaming and uh, uh, isolation like, all very sci-fi stuff guys uh, that doesn't happen in, in the real world um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it really uh, nails a lot of a lot of um, these uh, phenomena, and it, it, it like puts a good, uh, it has a good balance between, in my opinion, uh, handling or demonstrating how one would deal with a scandal like this happening and being all over the internet and uh, in in a worse way than's ever happened before. This is like. Uh, a celebrity nude uh, leaked times a million, uh, but it's horrible because the person included is not even. I mean, it's always horrible, but in this case, it's weird because it's blown up in a way, and this person isn't uh, particularly famous. It's just the the first person they've that's hap- that's this has happened to in this medium, which is the uh, contact lens AR VR type thing they had before uh, in the first episode. So it, yeah, it's it's, it's um, it explores like the the troubling and like not so sci-fi anymore notion of uh, like revenge porn, but like in AR VR, which is a very real thing that we are just on the doorstep of, um, and there it, it uses well, what what I think what I really like about this is because the the animation is so sort of not loose, but it has this cool sort of animation. The art, it has this cool uh, sort of unrestricted um, like character design. Um, and like every character has quite an interesting look or face um, that, uh, I don't know, it, it pulls through their personality quite well. Um, and they do the, make use of like really cool um like color palettes where you'll have like um various panels um which are sort of one-offs like during a montage scene um sort of in the middle and the color palette will just be different types of blues for this particular one um or different types of greens or different types of reds um and it's really cool it just uh I don't know. It gives a it gives a lot of character, and um, it's especially in the uh, the collage like overlapping panels during one of the media meltdown parts. Is um, I know it's effective demonstration of like sort of the media drama and like that sort of cycle that we have now when uh, something hits news and it's drama for twenty four hours and then we forget about it. Um, it it definitely has that feel, but uh, in 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 this sense, it it doesn't feel f- uh, fleeting at all, and it deals with um, how to sort of deal and survive that when everyone everywhere has access to this technology. And during that montage, it's particularly gross, but but uh, like you see the differences between like uh, other dudes and their various reactions to it uh, in very sleazy ways, and then other women just like uh victim blaming or um like just laughing along with it and it's like uh it is the horrible worst case scenario uh 
and there's like a great panel with uh, when they go to a cafe and it's in the back and uh, one guy basically says along with those oh I'm sorry hashtag not all, not all men though and uh, I think the reply bubble that Nash has is so good it's just, just like thanks but like the bubble is starting to like melt um, and it just says like well, it's like thanks dot 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 and it's so it's so much like oh thank you for the for your useful input into my current ruined life um so yeah i think like it uses the themes uh effectively and it feels like especially poignant in our sort of current climate um where a lot of men who've like abused their power are being uh, taken to task now and there's some like real answers and consequences for a lot of uh, a lot of this and it so it feels very timely with that while also dealing with our sort of nonchalant enjoyment of like uh, people's leaked data like things people's emails famous people's emails get leaked famous people's iCloud pictures get hacked and we as a public we don't really view their privacy as high because it's like, oh, why? If they didn't want it to happen, they shouldn't have put those pictures on there. And it's like, we sort of don't value them as people as such. And it it demonstrates like what happens when it happens to like like a random normal person. So I think I think it's very good. It's going in an uh, an intriguing. Uh, like a direction and this the second issue ends on quite an interesting hook so um this is something bring it it feels like it's bringing in another another element that it that will it's heavily linked to all this um uh sort, sort of cyber misconduct and shenanigans and i'm really hopeful that it's going to go somewhere worthwhile so uh I think Rahul, you read this as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, to echo some of the things that you've already kind of touched on, like the scariest part of this story is that it's framed around this new technology of um, of these new contact lenses, which uh, you know take holographic recordings of everything constantly um, and allow you to interact with that same holographic recording. Because in issue one, it's shown that she's wearing these and there's some audience participation going on or she's like perform there's a performative aspect to it and so these really private you it, you it could record private moments and these private moments can be hacked in and stolen and that's terrifying but like all of the things that she's going through under the lens of this new technology that it's proposing are things that are happening to people right now and that's the kind of stuff that's happening with whatever technology we currently have and like beyond that is less about what the technology allows but like what people are feel like they have um the right to have access to and it's this weird thing because you mentioned revenge porn but it's like it's a step even beyond revenge porn it's like um people having entitlement or access or um you know just for malicious reasons being able to find something that you've kept private and even the anybody involved in whatever was happening in private is completely outside of the actions of somebody who's, you know, who can take it from you and to put it out to the world. And that's, it's just crazy. Um, and it feels like, it feels like it's a comic book version of all of the essays and Twitter conversations that are happening right now, but 
made into its own mold. Like, I think if it was in less talented hands, it could be, quote unquote, a very special episode, you know. Um, but because of how well they integrate it into this story and how good the artwork is and how, you know, interesting the um, the use of the medium is, like you mentioned, the like the bubbling um, speech bubbles and stuff like that. I think it, it, it comes into something really clever and insightful and educational. And part of the education, like I, I liked how towards the end of the book, she has this speech where she spends the whole issue being told how other people feel about the violations happening upon her. But then it culminates in her finding her own voice to give some revelations about the situation. And then people doubt her testimony, which is, it's like it's something that happens right now all the time. It's so current that it hurts. It's ridiculous. It's this kangaroo court thing where every choice she makes, every action she takes is the wrong action and there's no beating this beast. Um, and it's just like violation upon violation. And then the way it, the, the story ends, there's there's even more than what we've just discussed now. And you know, I think if you want to find out, you read the book, whatever. Um, but like, I love that. The one thing I really like about this is is there is a slightly educational aspect to it in that um, po- post-story, uh, it ends with an interview from a woman gamer describing her experiences um, in what's essentially a male-dominated area, at least the toxic elements are. And she echoes some of the same things I've heard from basically every single female gamer that I know. And whether they play online, you know, talking to other people and having a trepidation about playing online or, you know, even just having an interest in video games in general and having to stifle what they say because you know some guy might try and mansplain to her but then this real life story that's at the end of this book is it just it escalates to horrifying levels and i it it's nice to nice it's interesting to have this exposure in this medium and i also appreciate that following this there's advice on how to deal with online harassment so uh i think anyone who is either interested in the state of things right now when it comes to you know, online violations or maybe needs to be taught or doesn't, you know, doesn't fully understand the situation of people who go through things that they may not not ever have to deal with. This is a good way to be, you know, get caught up on the state of things. This, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if you agree. This book, um, I've not read issue two yet. Uh, Issue one, it encapsulates all of my worst fears, basically. Mm. I, I'm not sure if it's healthy for me to read this, <laughs> because I know, um, I am. For me, it's it's not. I mean, I understand. I I, I should. Pro- I, it's it's a it, it's a great book for what it's doing, for what you've described that it's bringing this stuff forward and it's putting this stuff into a like a palatable yeah into a, into an in, yeah into a palatable and accessible way that people can take it on board and people can you know think about it and and use it to influence their actions and or even just be exposed to it exactly in a, in a different way because yeah. people take on information in different ways yeah. yeah but but like for me it's this the whole issue of privacy and things like that i mean i this is what keeps me awake at night anyway thinking about my phone and thinking about the way my phone works and and you know the fact that i don't fully understand this this black tablet in my pocket as much as i understand it as much as i understand what i need to understand in order for me to be able to use it and for me to be able to navigate social media and things like that i'm still i still feel i don't know like lost in the woods kind of thing sometimes and 
Yeah. <laughs> this this. I mean, I don't think it's healthy for you to read it where it stands currently, but I get the impression it's going to lead to something. Uh, it'll. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe something a bit more cathartic, or yeah, because it. Fi- but right now, it's terrifying. Yeah, well, it's. it's I, I'm terrified of this stuff anyway. This book sounds like nightmare fuel. <laughs> don't buy an Amazon Echo Dot because I did <laughs> over Black Friday, and just randomly when you're watching movies, Alexa will suddenly chime in with something for no reason. <laughs> it's it's really weird. Don't do it. Don't do that to yourself. Because I'm not normally. Have you listened? By... Have you listened to your recordings of your like Alexa stuff? You can get, you what? Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. On a, a giant bomb, uh, one of the guys on there. He had all the recordings of the stuff where he would ask Alexa, and it is Black Mirror territory. No, 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 yeah, no, 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 like no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I'm gonna go and plug her. <laughs> no, because <laughs> when I'm in the house on my own, I'm constantly muttering to myself, and I have no recollection of what I've been saying. So I, ooh, oh, I don't like Jesus. it. Jesus, no. Yeah, see, this is it. This is this is why I'm gonna move into a log cabin. And several ties. <laughs> Turn into shirtless bear fighter. <laughs> yeah, that's Great. that's going to be me living off maple syrup and bacon <laughs> in like <laughs> ten years' time or something. I don't know, no, but like I understand what this book's trying to do and everything. It's just it's just me with my state of mind. I don't I don't think I I've got the stomach for it right now. But I I want to read it. Future, yeah, right? I want to read it. I want to be able to. Um, understand this stuff and and i i i it's just i want to be able to confront my fears basically because i am so scared of all of this stuff that this book comes out with i'm petrified of my personal information finding its way into somebody else's hands that's like one of my biggest fears but yeah no well speaking of unstoppable terrifying forces i also read john wick number one um so let me just bring up the details for this. So John Wick number one, something I've been looking forward to for ages, actually. Um, so it's written by Greg Pak, art by Giovanni Valletta, colors by David Quirrell and Inlight Studios, and letters by Tom uh, Napolitano. And also this this is something I don't see very often, but edited by Anthony Marquez. So, I mean, does that happen often, editing in comics that are done by a third party? or yeah. Well, they all have an editor, but but I know what you mean. Um, it feels like it's... Um, I've seen that a lot with, like, anthology-type books. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah, so this one, Greg Pak being the guy who wrote Meg, uh, Mech Cadet U and Planet Hulk. Uh, Mech Cadet U, I, I fucking adore right now. Um, Giovanni Valletta, I don't think he's anything that I know. Um, as far as I can tell, he's a freelance artist for Marvel, and he did something called Eternal, which was a four-issue run from 2014. So anyway, uh, when I first watched John Wick number one back in 2014, I was really surprised to find that it wasn't based on a pre-existing comic book property. Like it really feels um, like it's come from that kind of world where the film made use of some really brilliantly comic book conventions to flesh out the world, like adding some hyper real mystery and character to a film centered around hyper real violence and action. Like I love that film and I love that it um, it not only used show don't tell to effectively describe uh, Wick and you know the sinister company he keeps, but also it had this 
intriguing, um, had all these intriguing un- unexplained elements, such as the super comic booky underground coin currency to pay for everything. Like you, you pay, you put one coin down for a gun, and you also put one coin down for like a hotel room, and you put one coin down um, for uh, like. How do they put it? There's like a really weird euphemism for like shady hitman services. So you call up a restaurant and you actually get a bunch of people who come and take away all the bodies that you've massacred. Um, so anyway, when I saw that they were going to make this into a comic book, it felt like a natural fit. Um, but the timing's odd because John Wick 2 came out a lot earlier this year and the comic just came out a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, if I if I hadn't been sold by its mere existence, then the cover would have done it for me because the cover for this is gorgeous. It, um it captures like that dark neon vibe from the nightclub scene in the first movie. So it's got lots of energy and motion and um, has John Wick in a swish suit pinning down a guy while like pointing a gun in his face in these dark blue and pink tones. It's really cool. Um, and the variant cover by Dennis, Dennis Cowan, I believe, also great. Like uh, Wick swishing around holding an assault rifle against like this really splashy, colorful backdrop of a shootout. And it's really good stuff. Um, so I can basically sum up this comic as it puts the fun in functional. Um, so it's a prequel, giving both the origin of John Wick, the hitman, as he finds his footing in the crazy world of this continental hotel system of psychos, and also John Wick, the like the guy with issues, I guess, uh, before he became a hitman, flashing back to you know what we find out is his uh, violent childhood. And all of this is basically just in service of one awesome shootout in the middle of the book, where John Wick dives through a window to save a cat and breaks some bones. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, like I said, functional. It's it, Similarly to the plot, the artwork isn't doing anything crazy or special. It's not like number one with a bullet where it's doing some really clever things with a medium or has interesting panel construction or colors or anything. But it's also like just competent and expressive. So Giovanni captures basically the full gamut of Keanu Reeves' stern and stoic facial expressions um, and does like bodies being flung around really well. So if that's what you're into, then, you know, this could work for you. Um, And one good thing is that the comic wick looks just enough like Keanu without it looking uncanny valley. And it remains consistent with the look of everybody else in the story. Um, So it's cool. It doesn't kind of take you out of the story or anything. And Greg Pak's dialogue for John Wick is written in such a way that you can kind of hear Keanu's voice in your head. Um, when he does speak, which is not very often. So, yeah, I liked it. It doesn't do anything amazing, but it's good, like, popcorn reading. And I just love the cover for it, which is why I picked it up. Um, I don't know if you guys were interested in this one. Did either of you pick it up? Or, uh, I didn't pick you know, it I didn't interest? pick it up. I mean, I, I do have an interest in it because, obviously, John Wick. But I haven't picked <laughs> it up to read it yet. And there was this, um, there was some stuff that, I'm not sure, maybe you can clear this up for me, I'm not sure if this is just someone being weird on Twitter or if this was like um, some kind of, if this is actually in the book at all, if it's some kind of weird rumour or something, but something, something Johnny Utah is is basically what I got from this, that somehow, I don't don't know whether this is just me making things up or what, I, I just had this whole thing in my head that from some throwaway comment that someone made on Twitter that this was going to link back into Point Break somehow. <laughs> I, don't... Uh, I, mm, I didn't pick up on that, but let me take a quick skim through. Like, I don't know. That's not. I'm going to have to take another read, but I 
didn't catch that from this, but that would be awesome if it does come into the you know into the full run at some point. I think I think I'm I'm just being ridiculous about a stupid joke that someone tried to make. About you just Reeves. you just want what you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, yeah, be damned what reality is. <laughs> reality be damned. I want the unified Keanuverse. <laughs> <laughs> That would be epic. <laughs> I love a Keanuverse. Like he plays the same guy in every. No, single but film. it's like awesome. imagine like um, you've got like these different versions of Keanu Reeves crossing paths. So you've mm-hmm. got um, John Wick, you've got Johnny Utah, and you've got hmm. Theodore Logan. Like, you've got lots of Johns, haven't you? You've got Johnny Mnemonic as yeah. well. Yeah, they're all just crossing <laughs> paths, all running into each other. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then presiding over it all kind of like um i guess dr manhattan style you've got neo (laughs) (laughs) that'd be cool like running everything inside the matrix so (laughs) also i'd like to retract my comment about him playing the same character in every film i think keanu reeves is a is a very talented and multifaceted actor no i do i I like i I love keanu reeves i do (laughs) Like I know I I'm the one who said it. Yeah, no, my my yeah. like one of my favorite films of all time is Point Break. So I think that's just me wishing for Point Break to be tied into a comic somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm not sure he's in this. Yeah. I mean, check it out anyway. No, I think I think, you'll... I think I um I think I just basically misconstrued and took literally a joke that someone made on Twitter. But goddamn, do I wish it was true. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> yeah, the unified the unified Keanuverse. There we go. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Um, and then, so I've only got one more thing which I've been reading, and that's uh, Demon Volume 4, which is by Jason Shiger. And I think um, I mentioned this back in episodes 14 and 15 when I picked up Volumes 1 and 2. It's uh, a webcomic turned into four volumes of a comic book. Uh, not much to really add on to this, except to say that I really, in- I really enjoyed the entire thing, and I'm glad that I got to finally read the ending. And with it being like a mystery puzzly box style comedy action gross out thriller um anything i say will be a spoiler um so what i will say is that the crazy mathematician jason shiger clearly had the whole arc planned out from the start and all the logic remains internally consistent and wraps together really nicely and neatly um i mean i think it does i mean who the fuck can tell i was it's it <laughs> like twists inside itself so much it's crazy i was just along for the ride um i'd recommend it still picking out all the four volumes if you like you know, twisty, turny, sci-fi plots, lots of intricate, thoroughly thought out and explained MacGyvering and stuff. Lots of gross out comedy violence. <laughs> it's also got a very cute style, despite being so violent and gross. So if that's your thing, then yeah, pick that Here, up. Demon by Jason Sheehan. Here's a question. Do I have to understand the math in order to be able to understand this book? Not really. It does that like mad scientist thing where he, like the protagonist voices out loud what you know the justification behind everything but like i barely paid attention to it it's just nice to know that i think a lot of the science behind it is basically real because the guy himself is you know a high level mathematician master whatever you want to call him like phd in mathematics guy so just take it for take it on faith that he's puzzled it all out right Um, and to be fair if even if you don't understand you know the underlying mathematics behind it he does demonstrate it nicely with diagrams and stuff and it's never that it's never over the top or crazy yeah. to you know you don't have to sit down and actually study it just yeah because for, for every every like 
graph showing angles and distances, there's somebody getting a head chopped off. So, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, it all balances I'm out. I'm just going to hold my hand up and say that I have trouble on occasion with basic arithmetic. So, I mean, <laughs> me too. <laughs> like, I, I need a calculator for everything I do. Um, but yeah, you, you don't need to, you don't need to know the maths cool. to, to appreciate any cool. of this. If anything, it will make you appreciate maths more because it puts it in the context of, you know, weird, disgusting stuff. Yeah. Which is always nice. Well, I like weird, disgusting stuff, so... <laughs> maybe maybe i'll like maths if it's maybe maybe if my teacher taught maths not like this not like this you really don't want this not in your life oh dear anyway um does that bring us to the end of the list i think that brings us to the end of the list yes so i guess we should just uh reel off some of the stuff we're looking forward to um I guess the 13th, which is the next new comic book day, so the 13th of December, the next NCBD before Christmas, so... Which will be when this podcast is yes. coming out. Advent Calendar Door number 13. Behind that, we have Mr. Miracle number 5, uh, which I guess all three of us are after. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I want to see where this is going. I want to read another Mr. Miracle book. I am... Hmm. Tom King is killing comics this year killing comics and i am really impressed with his mr miracle run so yeah number five um ray you've got a bunch of stuff that you're looking forward to on the 13th as well yeah i'm just going to rattle off a few so that's spiritus number four um the wicked and the divine has a christmas annual coming out and then there's also minky woodcock the girl who handcuffed houdini number two which you know is the second issue for comic we spoke about last issue mm-hmm. or last episode um also for me on the 20th we've got retcon uh, sorry 13th we've got retcon number four so now i actually get retcon having read issue three it it's now all been I, i'm three issues in and because i was struggling to understand where the name retcon came from for this series and where this whole concept of because the writers had gone out of their way to explain to you that this was something that had happened before and the whole concept of this thing was that it was a retcon and now i've read issue three i get it the same sequence of events continue to repeat themselves because somebody is dragging everyone back in time to repeat the same sequence of events to try and change the outcome kind of um who was it who said that something about insanity is repeating the same action and, re- and expecting different results I-, I don't know who that's attributed to but that, yeah that's a saying it's, it's a saying and and it, a, a famous scientist came out with it i think it's often like fake attributed to einstein but it wasn't him who said it wasn't it. actually einstein that said it no I think I think that's what I remember correctly. Right. I I'll, I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> but um it, it's kind of got I this that's the first thing that popped into my head when I read issue 3 of Retcon. So I'm getting I'm I'm excited about it now because I'm actually starting to understand where this whole Retcon theme that they have going on is is fitting together and I actually really like it. I I really 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 like it. So <laughs> Retcon number 4. Um on the 20th um, I've got Batman number 37, which is the continuation of um, the double date thing that I mentioned previously in the podcast. It's been kind of set up with uh, issue 36. And it's this whole 
the world dealing with the fact that Batman and Catwoman are engaged thing. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So it, it's it's um soap opera with capes and cows, I guess. Uh, is a good way to describe it. Maybe that's doing it a disservice by describing it that way because it's much more than that. And Tom King is a fantastic writer. So yeah, uh, we've also got the Curse Words Holiday Special on uh, the twentieth. So I'm goodness only knows. Syzygy only knows what lies in the pages of that book. <laughs> but I am looking forward to that. Definitely, 100%. I don't know about you guys, whether you'll pick that up. Yeah, why not? Sounds cool. Curse Words Holiday Special. Christmas with Wizard. That It does actually sound like it'd be fantastic, actually. And and if the pre- and if, if what's happening right now in Curse Words is anything to go on, I think we're in for a treat. And um, I guess that wraps us up this time unfortunately not able to get any questions in but we will answer them next time so yes uh, we do love questions please continue to send them to us uh so you that wraps us up that's uh episode 24 you can find us on facebook under ace comicals you can find us on twitter at ace comicals you can find us on wordpress which is acecomicals.wordpress.com um you can find us on various podcasting apps you can find us on itunes if you just search for ace comicals um i think about the only place you can't find us right now is the google store right yeah yeah go on go go to itunes go to tuning go to pocketcast go somewhere else exactly go to one of those other places that that actually lets english people use their service (laughs) so there we go um you can find me on twitter under at bato uh, you can field questions there. I, I can. Uh, you can field questions to the Ace Comicals Twitter, um, either by DM or you can, you, you can straight up call me out with a reply or something like that. I don't mind. You can also field questions via the uh, Ace Comicals email address, which is acecomicals at gmail dot com. Ray, where can we find you? Uh, on Twitter at Monke, so that's at M O O N K E H. And Leon, where can we find you? At Leon Everett on Twitter. And of course, the hub for everything Ace Comicals is www.acecomicals.com. There's also a link to our Instagram on there where you can find us under Ace Comicals. So there we go. Uh, that has been Ace Comicals episode 24. Ace Comicals over and out.